We're going to hear from God now, from 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now we're joining the story where Saul has been made king by the prophet Samuel, but things are already starting to go wrong. Saul has been instructed to wait to be joined by Samuel at Gilgal, but he decides the situation is too urgent and we see what happens. So let's join the story at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel for 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash, and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had a trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth -Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their, their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among rocks, and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited for seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gibeah of Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. 
raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned towards Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual, another towards Beth Horon, and the third towards the borderland looking over the valley of Zeboim, facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes and sickles sharpened. The price was two thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Thank you so much for reading that. And really good to see you here at Trinity Church Islington or online. A massive welcome to you. My name's Jeremy, if we haven't already met. And uh, do keep 1 Samuel 13 open in front of you, whether you've got a Bible handy or whether you've got it on your phone or up on your computer. Your job is to make sure that I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes and that I'm saying no more and no less than the Bible itself says. Please do pray that that would be the case. Let's pray as we begin. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that not a single one of us listening would misunderstand your word this afternoon. We pray that it would grip us and hold us, that it would mean much to us and, and that it would change us. And we pray that we would trust you because we know your heart and because we know your love for us and your grace and because we've seen that you will never, ever let us go. Now, please, Father, right now, by your spirit, give, give us such a clarity of thinking that we feed on your words like hungry people. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you've been around London for a while and you've traveled on the tube, I don't think I've traveled on the tube for about a year, but if you have, then you'll have noticed these signs on the ground. Uh, the one coming up on the screen, it says, uh, mind the gap, the gap that is between the train and, and, and the platform. Sometimes they announce it. And, and it's not an empty warning. Uh, I've seen uh, people's phones disappear down there. I've seen people's bags disappear. I've seen people's children, well, I mean, people's, the, feet, the feet of people's children sort of disappear down that gap. Anyone else seen, anyone seen things disappear down the gap? It's not an empty warning. It's important that we mind the gap. Uh, and, and if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, then you'll be aware of another gap that exists in your life. And, and that's the gap that exists between the things that you know that you should do, yeah, and then the things you actually do when you wake up in the morning. There's quite a yawning gap uh, in my life, I don't know about you, between the things I, I know that I should do and, 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 and the things that I actually do. It's, it's, if you like, it's an obedience gap. An obedience gap. All kinds of good intentions fall down that gap, yeah? Anyone else felt that? And the question is, what do we do about that? What do we do about that obedience gap? How do you feel about the obedience gap in your life. Uh, because the Bible says that, that the obedience gap does matter. Um, have a look at uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. 
this is what Samuel says about the obedience gap in, in Saul's life. He says, um, you've done a foolish thing. Samuel said, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It's a serious thing uh, to have an obedience gap in your life. Do, do you remember the song that, that we um, listened to? It says something similar. Two sins have we committed. I always think that's an underestimate, actually. I'm looking at my own life. Uh, but it means two kinds of sin that we've committed. And it says what fools we are. We are fools if we don't think the obedience gap matters. So the obedience gap is, is, is serious, but it doesn't leave us hopeless. Because as Christians, we have a better king um, than Saul called Jesus Christ. And, and yes, he minds the gap in, in that it matters to him, but, but then he, he minds the gap in the sense that he, he takes care of it in his death and resurrection. He deals with it. He forgives it. And he says that his perfectly consistent life can be counted as ours. We're getting ahead of ourselves today. We need to get back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And uh, let me remind you of what's going on. I write to remind us a little bit just at the beginning. So we're in Israel. We're in another part of the world called Israel. And it's uh, a thousand BC, a thousand years before, before Jesus comes. And, uh, and Saul has been made king, but there are problems with his kingship. And, and the people are using him as a, a sort of substitute for God. And that's not good for anyone. So we see in, in verse 1 the um, official start of Saul's reign. And then he starts sort of squaring up his army against the Philistine army in, in verses 1 to 7. And then he offers a sacrifice that he shouldn't have, shouldn't have really offered. That comes in verses 8 to 13. And then he finds himself in this hopeless situation in verses 14 to 22. And we know that it's, it's the beginning of the end. This is the diagram, do you remember, uh, that we put together for the book of 1 Samuel. Um, Eli gives way to Samuel, as the, the proud priest gives way to the humble priest, and then uh, Saul will, will need to give way to David. The proud king is going to have to give way to the humble king. But chapter 13, if you like, is all about Saul's obedience gap. And it begins in verses 1 to 7. This is what we're calling it. Uh, the pressure that leads to disobedience. The pressure that leads to, to disobedience. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you remember what it's like to start a new job. Anyone started a new job recently? Uh, I am... Um, <laughs> I, I, um, as a doctor, I used to have to start a job every six months, sometimes every three months. Absolute nightmare. I completely hated it. Now Saul is starting a new job as king. This is a new job, yeah? And, and notice the pressure. First, there's the pressure of someone else doing the job better than him, which is always tricky when you're starting a new job. Uh, Saul was given the job back in chapter 9 of defeating the Philistines. That was part of his job description. This is what it said in, in chapter 9.16. Anoint Saul ruler over my people of people Israel. He will deliver them from the hands of the Philistines. That, that was what he was there for. Uh, but slightly awkwardly, it's Jonathan who gets on with the job. 
in, uh, in verse 3, Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Gebar, and the Philistines heard about it. Well, you would, wouldn't you? That must have hurt. That must have hurt Saul. Hurt enough anyway for Saul to, to try and take the credit. Verse 3 carries on then. Uh, then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. Uh, I, was, um, I was talking to someone this morning. He said it, it's like when the intern turns up in the office and cracks the problem that you've been working on for six months. And, uh, and, and you go to your boss and you say, um, great news, um, the team has had a real breakthrough because it's just a little bit embarrassing. Saul is under pressure from someone doing the job better than him. And then there's the pressure of facing overwhelming odds in verse five, overwhelming odds. Uh, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel. They've got 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And they go up and camp at Michmash, east of Beth Arven. It doesn't look good. That is where Saul's been back in um, chapter 2 with a slightly smaller army. Uh, Michmash, this is what it looks like nowadays. Okay, it's a picture of modern-day Michmash. But suddenly, in, in Saul's day, all of these Philistines have turned up and their chariots are sort of double parked on the, on the village green. There are queues of 100 Philistines outside Sainsbury's. You can't get in and buy a pint of milk. Uh, John, Jonathan showed Saul up. There's a huge army down the road. And then Saul's people are just sort of melting away in verses 6 and 7. He's a man under pressure. And it so often happens with us, that pressure is going to lead to disobedience. And maybe you know what, what it's like. I know what it's like when, when you're under pressure. You're feeling under pressure in the office or from the family. You're feeling insecure because someone else has uh, got more money than you or, or they're doing better than you. You're short of time, so you're under pressure. When you've made a mistake and you're feeling guilty and, and you're trying to make up for it. When the people around you aren't giving you the, the, the support that you need, when lockdown's getting to you, That's when we can find ourselves um, behaving less like a Christian, I think. You know, maybe in our language, in our truth-telling, or our integrity. Maybe it's in a relationship or sort of big life decisions. Um, it's so easy for that disobedience gap to sort of widen when we're under pressure. That's when I do worst, I think, probably. Because it, it's kind of easy, isn't it, to put on a good show when everything's on the rails. How do we do under pressure? That's the question. How do you do? I just ask myself how I do. Well, Israel needs a king who's going to stand firm under pressure, but Saul is not that man. He's not that man. Have a look down to verses 8 to 13. That's our next section. We could summarize it like this. The pride that produces disobedience. The pride that produces disobedience. earlier on in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, then Saul has been instructed to wait at Gilgal for seven days. Seven days. This is what it said in chapter 10, verse 8. This is what Samuel said. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and sacrifice offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you 
and tell you what you were to do. Uh, but each day, no Samuel. You know that thing that you, where you look on WhatsApp and it tells you when the person was last seen? Have you, you, you know that function? I had a look earlier on, it said, ben, ben Fiddler, Ben Fiddler, last seen today at 12.25. That's what it said. Every day, Saul is sort of checking his mobile. Samuel, last seen six days ago. He thinks, no, that can't be right. Where, where is he? The weight must have been agonizing. You just imagine day by day. Um, anyone seen Samuel? Just, just wondering if he might be... Um, might be coming out the road. Till the seventh day, he just snaps. Yeah, he's just had enough. Verse nine, it's just getting ridiculous. And Saul says, just bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. I mean, what else was he supposed to do? And at this stage, we're feeling quite sympathetic, aren't we? If you've ever snapped. Until you see the two things that are driving his disobedience. Two things. Number one, blame. Can you see that? In verse 11, blame. When Samuel finally turns up, Saul blames him. In the original language, verse 11, the you has extra emphasis. So um, what have you done, asked Samuel? Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time. Where were you, by the way? Blame. Can I just say a life lesson that I really need to learn is to, is to cut the link between stress and blame. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've learned that lesson yet. So easy to look around for a scapegoat when you're stressed. Stress, blame, disobedience, it's, it's such a well-worn path. Blame, that's the first thing that's driving Saul's disobedience. And the second is pride, pride. Pride comes in many forms, doesn't it? Um, someone sent me this picture a couple of months ago from the Irish Daily News. It's a health information poster, you can see it up there, and it says this year, Thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And someone's written underneath, no, we won't. <laughs> it's pride, isn't it? It's pride. But Saul's pride is seen in this, that when the chips are down, when, he was, when he's back up against the ropes, he, um, he felt that obedience no longer applies. One writer, one writer talking about this part of the Bible puts it like this, by his action, Saul confessed that certain emergencies render God's word unnecessary. Yeah? That's pride. And it produces disobedience. Pride produces disobedience. When, when, when we know what God wants, but we just think, well, that's just, that's not practical. I've, I've genuinely got to sort this out. I'll repent in the morning. I just can't wait for God. And I, I've just got to take the controls for a bit because God seems to have fallen asleep. And um, it's much more scary when you see that in a Christian leader. Much more scary. Um, I heard 
couple of weeks ago, this is in a church that, uh, that none of you will know, but I heard about a Bible teaching Christian leader who's, who's found himself in a tight spot and they've just started doing things that the Bible says it's not the best thing to do. And uh, they're on, on the brink of taking another Christian to court because they've found themselves in, in trouble. And people have said to him, the Bible says that's not right. And he, and he says, ah, but this is different. See? Scary. So dangerous to disobey because we've let pride take control. What Israel needs is a king who's going to be humbly obedient. And Saul really isn't that man. He's not that man. Which is why the outcome is just so predictable. And it comes in, in verses 14 to 22. So predictable. And we're calling these verses the hopelessness that follows disobedience. Maybe I don't need to tell you what that feels like. Maybe you've experienced it for yourself. I, I certainly have. But notice how it plays out in this last section. Lots of ways, really. But let me just mention, too, the condemnation of the king. The king's condemned in verse 14. Samuel says, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Here's the spiritual principle. It comes right at the start in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. It casts its shadow all the way over the book. That God brings down the proud and he raises up the humble. And so Paul's going to take down Samuel, the proud king, and raise up David, the humble king, the, the man after God's own heart. That means a man who's, who's prepared to be obedient and to ask for forgiveness when he isn't. We're going to hear a lot about David in the chapters to come. The hopelessness that follows disobedience there condemnation of the king and then the oppression of the people. The people find themselves in, in so much trouble. The Philistines, uh, you, you heard when Rachel was, was reading, the Philistines have a sort of monopoly on sharpening anything. Sounds a bit strange to us. And they charge, verse, verse 21, uh, they charge, it's a bit steep, 320 pounds uh, equivalent for sharpening plowshares and mattocks. And then about um, £160 for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goats. Now that sounded a bit steep to me. Uh, so I, I asked Dawn to go down to Chapel Market and do a bit of research for me, uh, which she did. And uh, this is the sharpening stall on, uh, on Chapel Market, uh, run by a guy called Ron, uh, we found out. And Dawn went and spoke to him. Uh, here's, here's the picture of the stall. I, I, we told Ron we'd recommend him. So um, here you go, Ron. We're recommending you right now. And uh, Dawn actually read out verse 21 to him of 1 Samuel chapter 13. This is genuinely true. And he, and he confirmed that to sharpen a knife was one pound. <laughs> to sharpen an axe is two pounds. A sickle, two pounds. But when Dawn asked him about repointing goats, he said he'd have to go and talk to the man who owned the stall. Uh, that wasn't actually on the, um, it wasn't on the price list. But these are what the people are facing. And, and he, do you know what it's like? Um, we get bounced into disobedience. 
and then you find yourself totally enslaved by it. You know, it begins with a lie, and then and then you and, and it gets gets so complicated. Further down the line, oppression of the people. Maybe, uh, maybe you know that sense of hopelessness that comes from disobeying God. It can be really bitter sometimes. But it needn't stay that way. That's the thing. It needn't stay that way. Because what Israel needed was a king who, who, who'd be able to lead them out of hopelessness. And Saul was simply not that man. He was never going to be that guy. And, and in fact, it takes a thousand years in, in Bible history for, for that man to turn up, for that king to turn up. But turn up, he did. And that is why it is so important for us to know the credentials of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how important that is. Are, are you convinced of those? Sir Nathan asked earlier on, are you convinced of them? That he, he faced a pressure we will never face. He fought temptation all the way. It was harder for him than it is for us because he never gave in. Like C.S. Lewis says, it's a man who walks against the wind all the way to the top of a mountain who understands how strong the wind is, not, not the person who lies down after five minutes. He faced a pressure that we will never face. Hebrews says he was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Are you convinced of that? He, he turned away from pride in a way that we cannot imagine. We cannot imagine. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. What did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Are you convinced of that? He gives hope even in the face of hopelessness. I don't know how crushed you feel this afternoon. You might feel very crushed indeed. 1 Peter, he has given us, uh, he has called us into a living hope. He's called us into a living hope because he's alive. Are you convinced of those things? In which case, he is the king for you. Because that King Jesus Christ knows that we have this yawning obedience gap in our lives. A, a gap between what we know we should do and what we actually do when we wake up in the morning. And he calls it sin. And he reminds us that that obedience gap is serious, but it's not hopeless. Because he minds that gap. You know, as he deals with that gap by dying for it and, and offers to close that gap between us and God forever. Well, I'd love you to find out more about that if that's news to you. And we've got a course called Christianity Explored. It's starting this coming Sunday. Uh, just for an hour on Zoom. Nathan will give you a bit more information about it. Just email me. We've already got six or seven people interested. We'd love to have more. But in the meantime, just as we finish, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father God, so many warnings um, about disobedience. We know it's serious. Uh, we know how easy we find it um, when we're under pressure to do things 
that we know you wouldn't want us to do out of love. Uh, we're so sorry for those things for that. Uh, we know that a lot of that comes from our pride. Uh, we, we, we don't want to do things your way. We think we know a better way. And, um, and so we follow our own path. Signs are very critical times. And, and we know that left undealt with, that would lead to a, an awful hopelessness. Father, because Jesus Christ is our king, it doesn't have to. <laughs> His kingdom won't come to an end. Thank you for that, Father. Uh, he was perfectly obedient, incredibly humble. And he calls us to place our hope in him. I pray, Father, this will be a week when we do that. <laughs> that we'd learn obedience from him. But most of all, we would know that that he gives his obedience to us. And so we're counted as absolutely perfect in your sight. I pray we'd enjoy that, Father, in your name. Amen.